High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, computer-generated girlfriends, class nerds, militant older brothers, oh, and an extra special shout-out to post-apocalyptic biker gangs out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, let's chat about your homework, because summer school is still in session. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. As always, part one of your assignment this week, spread the love of High School Slumber Party. I hope you did. Did you tell a friend about High School Slumber Party? If not, you should. It's the best way you can help the show. Other ways you can help us is by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, on Instagram, but also by subscribing on wherever you get your podcasts. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And of course, you could always listen to us along with a slew of other great programming on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And guys, remember, class participation is a huge Huge part of your grade. Very important. So participate on social media. I want to hear from you. What I'm hearing so far is good. I could tell there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of excitement for Weird Science. It's one of our, you know, most liked episodes, I would say. Like, before it debuted, like, the photos I post and the announcements and that kind of stuff. And guys, there might be a controversial opinion on today's episode on Weird Science. And if you disagree with the things we're saying, I want to hear from you. Maybe I'll even shout you out on the next episode of the show. I love, I love hearing from you guys. So don't be afraid to disagree. Don't be afraid to agree. Whatever. Let's get that dialogue going. Oh, and one thing quickly. So my guests and I were recording through a rainstorm. We mentioned it on the podcast. But just off the bat, if you hear a pitter-patter in the background... It's either my dog walking around or the torrential downpour that was happening. Whatever. Can't control the weather. Don't know what to tell you. Oh, how could I forget? Did you watch last week's movie, Gleaming the Cube? Thank you again to Chris Carroll and Dan Ferrara for hopping on that episode. And did you listen to that episode? It was pretty fun. Skateboarding, post-Vietnam War, crime solving. (laughs) It was a crazy one. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Come on. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. But wait, I see one hand raised in the back of the class. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You, sir, you, sir. Uh, 
pick me. Why, it's third time's a charms. Michael Manzi, our, our, what do we call you, our super senior, our, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm not either. Michael Manzi, you've raised your hand. Yes. A question. Permin- I love participation. Uh, am I a permanent substitute teacher? Is that what, the, I mean, <laughs> um, I, not so much a question, uh, I guess, more as a uh, extension of what you uh, talked about in your last episode, you know, um, it's funny because uh, the last time I recall you had a Christian Slater movie, I was on for Pump Up the Volume. And Absolutely. I was thinking about you a lot. <laughs> and uh, there was a rebuttal by Cage Club co-founder, pod father, Joey Lewandowski. And now we are here um, after another, a week after another Christian Slater movie when you did Gleaming the Cube. And I'm here with with my sort of, not rebuttal, but my two cents. But what is it about Christian Slater movies that inspires, like, <laughs> dialogue? I love it. They're so strange, especially from around this time, like this and, you know, the the one we just mentioned, uh, Pump Up the Volume, and then Heathers, and, and st- like, he was just in interesting movies back then. Yeah, and he certainly, he's pretty, like, I'm not going to say he's the same as his character in Pump Up the Volume in this film, but he's pretty similar in terms of, you got his, like, cynical Slaterisms, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're totally the same teens of the same generation, right? Definitely mm-hmm. playing, like, they could have gone to high school together. They would have been friends. Maybe it would have been that kid's only friend in Pump <laughs> Up the Volume. Yeah, but uh, this is crazy. This is such a crazy high school movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I assume you'd seen it before and you were familiar with it? Gleaming the Cube, that is. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting how... This movie, I didn't realize it was not as well known as I thought it was. It's just one of those movies that's kind of always been there for me when I was growing up. Like, um, my dad took me to see it when I was a little kid. Wow. And, you know, I had, I was, I'm looking for a photo of it, but I have like that Tony Hawk skateboard with the hawk skull and the, the red background and everything. Um, so, yeah, I used to skate with those fat boards, and that's how I started. And wow. I went because I thought it was going to be like a skateboard movie. Like I loved the movie Thrashin' when I was a kid. Um, that's the one with uh, Thanos, um, Josh Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like that is more of just like a straight-up skateboard movie. And then there's like, I think like Skateboard the movie. So like I was watching anything I could, you know, early <laughs> early Bones Brigade skate videos and things and with my neighbors and stuff. So I was m- over the moon that there was a Christian Slater skateboard movie coming out <laughs> that summer or fall or whatever. I guess, so what were your thoughts on it uh, recently? And, you know, what, what do you think of it today? Right. It is an interesting movie. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it plays so differently from when you're a kid and then you watch it today. Uh, and even when I was watching it, like in high school, you know, it played it plays differently, like any time you come back to it. But now, um, like, I love it for completely different reasons, I guess. Like, I still love it for the same reasons, like all the skate culture stuff and Kristen Slater's character and everything. Uh, but I never realized, like, I couldn't really put my finger on it before. But this is such like a teen noir you know, it's like a teenage detective yeah. mystery drama. Like, you know, he <laughs> he's the only one that doesn't believe that his brother committed suicide, that there's something fishy going on, that there's something deeper, there's a bigger conspiracy at play, and he just won't let it go. And, and I just love that, too, about his character. He's just so tenacious and he's not the kind of guy like even his parents don't think that he'll ever like accomplish anything or see things through or at least his dad. Um, but like, you know, he ends up you know, solving this crime and like, I'm feeling like he's going to be okay. He's going to go on, maybe 
become a cop, like get his detective license or something. <laughs> They're not, they don't have to worry about Brian anymore. Uh, Brian <laughs> Kelly, the name of the character. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's so interesting. That's an interesting take. And I think you're absolutely right. Cause, and it's weird because it's not played to comedy either. This gets like to be a serious movie. But if you said it like to someone who's never seen it, hey, this is a skateboard uh, teenage noir film. You know, it sounds funny, <laughs> but it's a pretty serious film. Yeah, like I mean, I'm not gonna say it's not like Chinatown, right? But like it kind of, no. it but it kind of is like Chinatown. But it has that vibe. It yeah. does, right? Like it gets as close to that feeling as you can get in the modern day about in a movie about a teenager. You know, I mean, there's certain places he can't go, like he can't. You know, he's not 21, right? The character is barely 18, so like it's really interesting how uh, he has to sort of like you know work around that like there's just things that he can't do because he's not old enough and i find that kind of stuff interesting but like yeah this this could totally you know you take out the skateboarding and you age this guy up or you give all of uh christian slater stuff to the cop like this is just a hard-boiled like detective story yeah which is it's again it's so interesting and one of the most unique movies i've ever seen on high school slumber party and mike I thank you for doing your homework. Oh, that was, you know. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah, this wasn't this wasn't homework for me this week. <laughs> well, I hope you did your homework for this week because we're talking again about weird science. Our guest is, of course, someone you've had on many of your shows, Walt Hickey, and uh, it, it's going to be an interesting conversation. Mike, are you sticking around for the slumber party? Oh, most definitely. I, I you know impromptu invite to a sleepover i'm there (laughs) we're watching weird science absolutely (laughs) all right then pack your favorite jammies tell your mother you're sleeping over brian's because we're about to get our party on i leave you with what else could i leave you with today Uh, mike you could probably guess what song i'm leaving Uh, um, you know the the classroom with today would it is it by any chance the name of the movie you just watched is it the same is it by any chance written by legendary composer danny elfman while he was with his band oingo boingo yes and that song is weird science weird science you gotta you gotta you you gotta say it like that weird science (laughs) class dismissed from my heart and from my hand why don't people understand my intention get these introductions out of the way. Sure. I'm not sure if you remember how to do it, but just say your name and your high school and what your high school team name was. Great. Yeah. No, I'm Walt Hickey. Uh, I went to Don Bosco Prep 
in uh in Ramsey, New Jersey, and uh, we were the Iron Men, and remain so to this day. I'm just not there anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and sometimes I'll just discuss how the mascot's yeah. name isn't like okay for both genders, but it's it's only a guy school, right? It is it is exclusively male. Yes, uh, so that is uh we get away with it because <laughs> sometimes they'll do weird things like I don't know if they do the Iron Ladies or the Lady Iron Men. So it's it's pretty cool, but and it's funny because we actually get Iron Man in this film today that we're talking about. We do. That was one of the like key attractions for why I wanted to do. When I sent you that list, I was like, "Oh, this movie looks terrible." However, I am a fan of a performer who appears in it. <laughs> All right, because that was going to be my next question. Had you seen Weird Science before, and why you decided on Weird Science? But you kind of answered. It and you know, I, I actually had not seen Weird Science either. It's one of the holes in my, uh, I guess, you know, John Hughes is obviously the dawn of high school films, and you know, yeah, he comes up on your podcast, right? Like... <laughs> yes, he does, and this is one of like the Keystone John Hughes films that I admittedly hadn't seen, so I was excited to do it, and you know, I'd heard a lot about this film, but uh, you know. Now that good seeing, things, I kind of wish I had nostalgic memories <laughs> for it, like like a lot of the other John Hughes films, where I could defend more things, like because I sure. seen it and it meant something to me in high school, but I'm seeing it as an adult in 2019. So yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is certainly a movie that does not lend itself well to the cultural changes that we've enjoyed as a society in the intervening period. So. <laughs> no, I wrote it down like. Pretty early on, it seems like Mary Poppins for horny 80s straight male teen boys, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It's really something. It is really something. (laughs) I can't wait to get into it. And interesting title. And I I read that the title comes from a 1950s comic of the same name, though it's not based on that. Weird Science. Yes. Now, for those of you not too familiar with Weird Science, I actually had this DVD. I think someone gave it to me. So I'm just going to read straight from the back of this DVD. Let's get those log lines. <laughs> it's a long one, too. Or at least it seems long. Let's see. Teen life is full of mysteries, but nothing is more hilarious or more fun than weird science. The out-of-this-world comedy that helped define a generation. Join two socially challenged computer whizzes, Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Michael Smith, as they said, is it Ian or Ellen? I don't know if it's two I's or two L's. Whatever, that's the other guy. As they set out to create the perfect woman. Like a computer-generated fairy godmother, the duo's heavenly creation guides the pair through the pleasures and pitfalls of teenage life. From writer and director John Hughes, Weird Science... Oh, this is... Never mind, I'm not going to read this part because this is about the DVD. Uh, yeah, so... I don't know, that was full of generalities. Let's Let's talk about it some more, though. Like I said, writer and director John Hughes... This was this was for me the missing John Hughes film. I can see why. Like no one's said to me, like, "Oh, you have to see Weird Science." Yeah. Um, what was your familiarity at all with Weird Science before um, watching it? Great question. I had seen the cover of Weird <laughs> Science uh, because it is a fairly, I would say, I like it's it's an iconic cover in a lot of different ways. I think that like it you you would know it when you see it, and clearly. I was unfamiliar with any of the content of, of, of the movie Weird Science. However, I, uh, I knew Robert Downey Jr. was in it. I had done a, a project about his work, and I 
ended up seeing it. I knew that Bill Paxton was in it. And beyond that, I didn't really know much. It's kind of got, like, you know, science fiction films. I tend to enjoy those. And uh, I kind of went in expecting one of those. No, (laughs) that didn't happen. (laughs) That's where, you know, the the name Weird Science actually works because... There's almost no actual scientific basis for anything here. And uh, and whatever, it's like an 80s teen film, but there seems to be no rules. Like, you know how science fiction movies have rules that even though they're yeah. absurd, we kind of live by them? Like, even like Back to the Future, right? This just yeah. seems like random stuff happening. No, I haven't even bet it, like... Like, fuck, I would, like, you know the Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie, The Tooth Fairy? That has a better set of rules as to why he's forced to become the Tooth Fairy than this film has for why they have created this thing. This is not science fiction. I, like, was going through to try to think of, like, what the fuck is this movie about? And I, like, the only thing that I was able to get close to is it's it's two pubescent boys create a golem, uh, the the ancient Jewish folkloric tale of a, a, a creature made out of mud in order to satisfy the lusts and, cr- and desires of a man who eventually betrays him over the course of doing so, and that's the only thing. This is, this is absolutely, there's nothing in, like, the annals of science fiction or, or history, like, there's no story this is based on. It is literally a story about a golem. oh man it's weird because now john hughes has written other films he's done vacation but this is like considered number three in his like high school series and they came out in like six month increments 16 candles then was the breakfast club look those movies have their problematic elements but i think still in the culture that they're considered significant regardless. I'm not defending everything in those films and you Absolutely guys can not, yeah. in the archives about that, but come on, you know, they're the Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles. And this is the third. I think something that translates with the Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles today mm-hmm. is the realness it feels and the way it was able to touch like teens in a certain way that like maybe hadn't been done before. The awkwardness, the loneliness. And this film is like such a departure from that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So like I think it's always interesting what directors aim to say with the work that they do. And so, like, what did John Hughes want to say with 16 Candles? Well, high school's hard, but maybe, just maybe, you can get lucky enough to find someone who, who, who you enjoy spending it with. Like, The Breakfast Club, what was he trying to say? High school's hard, but even the groups of the most disparate people can come together and forge a community out of mutual adversity. What is John Hughes trying to say with weird science? Sometimes boys get erections and then create golems. <laughs> and then the golem pulls a fucking genie from Aladdin on them and just kind of makes everything weird. And that's the point of the movie. This movie had no, like, it, it, this movie does not possess a heart because it was forged from mud. <laughs> and it's funny, and we'll talk about it a little, like, the conflicts aren't, like, real conflicts. They're literally just conflicts created by our, our you know, our uh, Lisa character. Like, when I say conflicts created by her, like, literally she's like, I'm going to add conflict to this scene. And it happens. Yes. It- <laughs> she, like, the, the conflicts are not, like, 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 well, oh, a party's kind of a little boring. How are we going to solve this problem? Mutant bikers, like it's like it's 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 like conflicts, like and again, like were those bikers like existent? Were they summoned or were they created? Like and like that, like you don't want to think about the implications of some of these things after a certain point because like I just don't necessarily think that this movie really has anything to say. This feels like a movie that was co-written by the great writer in the 1980s, Cocaine, 
And then it really did feel like they just kind of threw things at the wall after a certain point, and they were like, well, what can we possibly do now? Are they just going to have sex with it? No, no. They need to, other stuff needs to happen. Like, it is absolutely barbaric and <laughs> kind of wild. I don't know. And it's surprising to me that there's not more, like, nudity. I'm not asking for it, but... Sure. I would think that with everything you said, that they would at yes. least go for that crowd. Like, just you know, naked chicks, but like, there's also not that in this. So I'm really confused, which again, I'm fine with. I'm just confused with the aim when it comes. To yeah. That. It's, it's a movie that does not deliver on its already scant promise. Like, <laughs> like, the promise of this movie is that what if you magically created a perfect woman and then, and then, and then the delivery on that promise is she makes shit really weird and then becomes a gym teacher. <laughs> and you end up enjoying high school more after enduring the process. And I don't get it. Like it, it, it literally like meets out justice to those who have wronged our two heroes. And beyond that, nothing really. Well, well, I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn that John Hughes wrote this film in two days. No, that absolutely confirms the fact that this was... N- <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this movie was written in two days. Uh huh. Like he was just—he had a nice fresh cup of coffee in the morning. Wrote for eight hours. Got a really good night's sleep. Really rewarding. And then he woke back up in the following morning and banged the rest out. That's how it went down, people. (laughs) And and that's not even assuming what you said before—that the the cocaine potentially involved. I was heavily implied. It's like, oh my god, he like like two days. This is like. Like, from conception to execution, that's really not so. I don't uh, know why this now, movie was made. Like, it, it's too half-baked to, like... Again, it doesn't deliver on any of its, like, very, very, like, not hard promises. Like, <laughs> Well, it, it is short. Um, it's only, like, an hour and a half long, and, I mean... Oh, it is a gentleman's hour and a half. If you ignore credits, it's probably an hour and 28 minutes. And considering we get two build... Even though one is a failure, but, like, two build a lady montages yeah that are long and there's another scene that goes on way too, a couple of them but there's another scene that i think goes on way too long here this is just this could be an episode of a tv show rather than not a good one but like a, of a tv yeah. show rather than a full film which, which i thought was was definitely interesting i wasn't keeping track because i really didn't want to have to pay more attention to this movie than i did <laughs> but i would cons- i would suggest that approximately 16 percent of this film was spent within the confines of a single bathroom like what the fuck like (laughs) i think it's solid 15 that would be more interesting i think one of those like thinking films that takes place in the same room like you know oh yeah like a bottle episode of an 80s sex thriller like (laughs) like i have forged life what am i gonna do it like no like it's great so we have like a teen film hall of famer anthony michael Mm -hmm. hall as one of the leads interesting hair in this film have you um, seen his films as as part of this before? Like as part of the project? Have you have you seen a lot of his work? Just I mean, so we've done um, Sixteen Candles and sure. we've done Breakfast Club. So I, so I, I this think is kind of a is this kind of a damper on it or or like is this emblematic of his work? What do you think? Like I I, I love your expertise as as this purveyor of 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 eighties high school movies and other high school movies, but like. Like, how is he doing in this one? Is this kind of a, a phoned-in job? Like, what's the word? I actually don't think he does that bad in this film. Um, okay, so, you know, just in the Hughes arc here, 
and mm. 16 Candles, he is another character doesn't translate well as uh, Farmer Ted or sometimes credited as the geek. And he's like very creepy, but... You know, I don't want to say whatever, but you know that's sixteen candles. Breakfast Club. He's has that really, really, really good monologue. Yeah, um, he. I think he did the best with what he was given here. I like seeing, despite him still playing a geek, I like seeing a different kind of confidence from him. So, like, I don't think he's bad. I, I don't honestly. I don't think too many of the performances are t- terrible. If they are, it's because of what they're given, not necessarily you know because they're just phoning it in i I don't think there's like yeah i mean these characters these characters do not have dimension not that i i I desire dimensionality from from this kind of like but it just it's not necessarily like there's not a lot holding you here like it's kind of a i guess i'll see what happens at the end of the scene to see if there's escalation and then there isn't (laughs) It's really not. It feels. It's almost like um, like you know those roadside attractions that you go into that promise the world, and then it's just like, nah. It actually kind of sucks a lot. It's kind of that. Like the payoff that they promise is like super underwhelming compared to, uh, and, and in fact non-existent compared to what they actually end up pr- delivering. You know. Yeah, I think roadside is like a good descriptor because a lot of it is just like gimmicks. Like in terms yeah. of, I mean, because I don't think we're gonna talk about like into the nitty-gritty here but like we need not (laughs) like oh let's try to add some conflict of the grandparents coming over so we see them talk for a while and then they come over and then like that's it like you know like it's (laughs) it's it happens sort of but it's not john hughes's two elderly neighbors got their sag card that's the moral (laughs) of this story (laughs) i can't i can't tell if it's illin or ian because I don't know if that's a, a second L or an I, but I'm just going to go with Ian, because that's, that's a name. Ian Michael Smith plays Wyatt. I'd never seen him before. I looked him up. Not really. Um, you know, he hasn't really done much. So let's just skip over to Kelly LeBrock, who plays Lisa, who is the created woman here. I mean, she is a very pretty lady, so I, I guess they got that right. And she's actually um, behind the scenes named after, I, was it the third Apple computer, the Apple Lisa um yeah oh yeah that's what that is yeah so like that's That's cool i like that that's nice (laughs) but but they're like that's more interesting than their actual explanation i didn't even pick that up in the film so um yeah no but i thought that was cool as well uh demi moore and robin wright were also people who auditioned for the film it was actually offered to kelly lebrock but she turned it down because she was on vacation in france which makes sense (laughs) I, I like how, like, somebody being on vacation in France for two weeks was enough to completely destroy the filming schedule for this movie. Like... <laughs> uh, the, the role of Lisa was actually given to someone named Kelly Emberg. I don't know. It's kind of an unknown, but apparently she was fired after a couple days filming, and they convinced Kelly LeBrock to do it. I can't imagine what she did or didn't do. I mean, first, what do you think of Kelly LeBrock's performance? And then what do you think of Lisa, the character, and I'm using quotes, overall? overall. Yeah. You guys created me. I didn't come from anywhere. Before you started messing around with your computer, I didn't even exist. By the way, you did an excellent job. Thank you. Hello? Charing's real fun, isn't it? 
you're going to have any kind of fun together. You guys are better loosen up. Um, I'm, I'm going to say basically the same thing about it, which is that Kelly Brock was given absolutely nothing to work with and still managed to be interesting whenever she was on screen. Like, I think that she kind of, like, they really didn't give her anything of just being like, yes, you're going to be an omnipotent goddess who uh, is kind of like the kid from the Twilight Zone movie in which they can pervert the world to their own monomaniacal ends. But also, like, you're, you're, you're two days old. Have fun. This is a weird thing. Like, and so I think that they really didn't give her a lot when it comes to how to actually pull off the role because there wasn't really a lot there but she still managed to be like visually interesting and like own the screen when she's in it and part of it is because she's with a bunch of teenagers the whole time but like <laughs> i think that she uh she's at least entertaining and uh yeah so i think that she's she again has nothing to work with so. no and it is like a weird thing like when you talk about like the male gaze and stuff it's obviously <laughs> you know th there's no more obvious thing here because they they quote unquote create her, but we're like, we, we can own, we're only forced to see this film through the point of view of these kids because if we see through the point of view of her, she's kind of creepy and that's hard to work with in terms of like she's making out with fifteen year old boys and she's clearly an adult. So I, I I agree with you. Like she didn't have anything to work with, but I still found her very interesting and you know I, I like I said a hundred percent agree with your sentiment there on her um a little quick note the ian michael smith guy who played wyatt uh -huh. apparently was very into her into the film and anytime they would kiss he would stick his tongue down her throat and oh no and then like reading that now i'm like she she got very upset and you know she, she obviously wasn't happy with that but also you're putting an adult in a position where they're making out with a kid. So, like, I, like, I, I, I don't know where to nobody, go from there. Yeah. there. There are no heroes. There are absolutely no heroes in this situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, this movie probably shouldn't have been made. I don't think that it's necessarily contributing to the discourse all that well. Uh, it, uh, it's it's quite bad. And, and even the good parts are still fairly bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, I can't, like, not to, I know that we don't want to marinate in the minute-by-minute minute stuff, but, like, this movie's really bad. Like, they, they, after they create her, they go into a bar in Chicago for an extended riff that doesn't really work that well and holds up approximately as, as well as, like, 1984 milk. And uh, it, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's kind of a rough one. It's that, that's a really hard part of the movie to kind of get through without, like, just kind of zoning out and really hoping that, uh... That Mr. Hall discontinues with the with the accent. Uh, oh my and, god! Yeah, Baz, man. Let me tell you my story, man. Last year, I was insane for this crazy little eighth grade bitch. Okay? Crazy, insane, insane, crazy. I was nuts for the woman, man. Now you gotta believe me. I'm saying, I'm telling the truth here. I'm speaking to you. I mean, I was nuts for the girl. And what did to me was these big titties she had. For a 13-year-old girl, man, she wouldn't have to worry about no titties for the rest of her life, boy. You know, she was set and she was looking good, son. That's the truth, baby. I called every night for like a month. I mean, I'm talking devotion, man. Every damn night? Every night, Mitch. I ain't playing with you. On the telephone? 
this boy talking about on the telephone, man? Explain it what to him. What the hell? we know there's a telephone, boy. What the hell thing I'm doing? <laughs> but he hung up right? on her. Oh, you didn't hang up on her, the chick with those big, big titties? Man, you uh -huh. did. Man, you know, now here's the camper. You know what the bitch did to me? Lay it on. Check yeah. this shit out. Listen to what she did to me. She need you in the nuts and called him faggot in front of everybody. No, she did what? Bitch need your nuts? Bitch need my nuts, bitch. Yeah, I'm not playing with you. In the family jewels? In the family jewels, man. Worst oh, pain man. there is. Broke my heart in two. You broke more than your heart. Yeah, man, you don't like me, baby. You can forget that other one. You got this fine jewel sitting right over here by you. Now, I just feel like most people in this movie over the age of like like 19 did not enjoy making this movie that much. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's actually the scene that I thought went on for way, way too long i get like you, you know you, you kind of want to show them like getting into the bar under age and this like fish out of water element but why mm -hmm. why after you know i i guess the main bar scene parts why do we get what felt like 10 minutes and i know it's not because percentage wise but it felt like 10 minutes of <laughs> anthony michael hall pretending he's something that i could only claim is like a racially inspired pimp Yes. Telling a story, like like an old blues story. Again, you want to give me a line? It's still not appropriate. But that was like a ten minute story. It felt like, oh my god. Yes, exactly. Like like it, it was just it was it was really challenging. Um, and again, like the sexual politics of this movie are already dated in the eighties. Like it, it's it's a it's a rough go. I would not suggest that people watch it. There is, like, there was, I think, a joke that I enjoyed in it. And uh, beyond that, it was kind of rough. <laughs> um, back to the cast quickly. You mentioned him, Bill Paxton, as Chet, who's, you know, Wyatt's older brother, back from military, I guess a military college? Uh, I'm not sure, or at least a military He's home school. from Army. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> army at half day, apparently. This and... is my seal. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Bill Paxson, a very early role of his. What'd you just think of this whole character? You stood, buttwad! For me? Know what time it is? Um, two? Time to pay the fiddler. Um, I was kind of counting on you to be human about this. Here's the bottom line, Wyatt. I'm telling mom and dad everything. I'm even considering making up some shit. All right, Chet, name your price. $175 and zero cents, cash. New bills crisp and clean in my wallet by 7 a.m. Thank you. Hey. What are big brothers for? Uh, I mean, it wasn't really a character. You can't, like, it was really rough. It was not really compelling. It, it kind of shut down the movie anytime that he was on screen. 
Uh, he wasn't, like, vicious in an interesting way, which is the kind of villain that I like. He was vicious in a very, very uninteresting way, in, like, a very, very down-to-earth bully that is, like, regrettably familiar. Um, and <laughs> so, I don't know, it didn't really... It was kind of atonal in that way, where, like, I think that, like, Robert Downey Jr. was legitimately interesting in this movie. Uh, he was a very, very small part, all things considered, but he was vicious in an interesting way. Like, And I just kind of thought that the way that they handled Paxton's character was super kind of one-note in a way that really was a drip for a movie that is ostensibly a comedy. Yeah, I, I wrote that down, too. He's just like a one-note character. And, it, yeah. and if he had one scene, I think I probably would have been fine with it, you know? Oh, we'd, totally, yeah. We'd probably be laughing at, like, an early Bill Paxton role. Like, oh my god, is that Bill Paxton? You know? Yeah. And, but the fact that he keeps appearing and... Ugh. <laughs> yeah, like, they could have they gotten the same mileage with just, like, one... The, the extortion scene, which is the first introduction to him, followed by no nothing never seeing him again and then having him turned into a turd by uh, the fairy guy. <laughs> like, that would have been sufficient, like... It just kind of felt yeah, like this, this movie's no, really trying honestly, to pad it out. Absolutely. And, like, you know how they froze the grandparents in I the do closet? remember how they froze the grandparents in the closet. <laughs> they could they should have just done that with him, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that would have been perfect. I, again, like, those two definitely wanted SAG cards, and, and, and their dear friend uh, <laughs> helped them get in the union. But, like, buddy, I do not, like, I really, this, there's... This movie is uh, barely shambolic. Uh, <laughs> We're going to try our best to get some mileage, at least out of the podcast, be- <laughs> with it. Um, a- again, so one of your main inspiring things to watch this film was the presence of Robert Downey Jr. He's just credited as Robert Downey, by the way. But it, it wasn't enough screen time. He's, he's a bully named Ian, and he's with his friend named Max, played by a guy named Robert Rustler. But you're right, they both were more interesting. And you could just tell how good Robert Downey Jr. is, because... He's got timing! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, it was comforting to see him. I love the fashion of him and the other guy. Like, it, it was oh, subtle, yeah. but like, you know. And this, they're your classic... Uh, they're bullies, of course, but they're more... Naturally, uh, yeah. They're just kind of dicks. Like yeah, they're just dicks. like like high it. school guys who have a little bit too much. Like they're too good looking at too like prime and age that they have self esteem in high school, which is inherently a bad thing. Nobody in in everybody <laughs> in, in high school should like hate themselves a lot because it's just better on the other side of it when you look back and you're like, ah, eh, it wasn't that bad. But like, it's very much uh, kind of an issue with this one because it's like yeah they're, they're charming like they, but like they're like cruel in funny ways they like drop an, a large icy down to hit uh the, like the, i would absolutely like that's fun that's just inherently funny that's like youtube funny that you know what that is that's jake paul funny that is like very watchable cruelty and i enjoy it like and, and like like i it's that's the it's the it's like basically 1980s jake paul <laughs> Yeah, no, and uh, so much of this movie isn't relatable, but those guys, not, not that I relate to them, but, you know. Certainly. High school dicks. Yeah, yeah they're, just, they're, they're, just, they're just people who are, like, a little too cruel and, like, a little too pretty for the time being, and, like, yeah, it's, I think that everything that's that happens is, like, fine with that plot, and I actually would have, like, again, like, compelling villains is very, very funny, like, uh, and not that they are, like, uh, like voguing in the middle of it, but like it's just like that they're fun to watch when they're on screen <laughs> to an extent. 
Um, and, and apparently off screen, they were quite the troublemakers as well. Um, I, I was Go reading, on. I was reading uh, some, you know, actually a lot of notes on this. For years, there was rumors that Robert Downey Jr. pooped in Kelly LeBrock's really? trailer. Really? Yes. Like like in the in the bathroom in the trailer? or no? I think just in the trailer, uh, but... Yeah, appara- that's going to be an issue. That's going to present a problem, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, recently, it's been clarified by numerous sources that he did not poop in the trailer of Kelly LeBrock, but him and the guy who played Max did defecate in another actress's trailer on the set as a funny prank. So that's yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Apparently, it pissed off John Hughes at the time, but they've since repaired their relationship, I guess. I in mean, fairness, dead, you never... But- like- yeah, but like Robert Downey Jr. was uh, leading a rambunctious life at this point in history. Uh, I think that we we all kind of look back on his troubles, and um, he pulled himself out of it. But I think that yeah, he was he was really really cranked out in the '80s, and that's like kind of to be expected. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also call it researching for the Dick character, right? You know, yeah, like... he's Stanislavski method, as one does. Like you need to get into the character and. <laughs> And then a bunch of unknowns and other uh, roles here, but I know some of my slumbers, some of my fans, and that's a stupid mm. way. I'm not going to call them fans. Listeners, because that's an the arrogant. The slumberers. Thing. Slumberers, yes. The guests so, in your, glumber, your slumber party. <laughs> They'd be remiss, or it, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, John Kapalos, who plays Dino in this, Classic he, part. <laughs> yeah, he's just literally one of the guys at that club. He's famously Carl the janitor from The Breakfast Club. Ah, so, little well, hi- high school link there. Uh, that's my IMDb trivia for you. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's where I read it. Oh, hey! <laughs> Word. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, this is takes place in the fictional town of Shermer, Illinois. Which many a couple other John Hughes films take place. The Breakfast Club technically takes place at Shermer High School, but it's not shot in the same high school, which kind of mm-hmm. silly to me. But whatever. Um, the but the exterior for this high school that they shot at was the same exterior as Sixteen Candles, and another film, not a John Hughes film, but one we talked about together on Cruise Club on this network, Risky Business. Yeah. So, as I'm. How was that? As I'm getting a lot of mileage out of the IMDb trivia, this high school <laughs> got a lot of mileage in terms of 80s teen films. So, I don't know. Good for that high school. <laughs> Let's see. What else? Oh, oh yeah. uh, can we... Um, yeah. Like, there, there's like two things that I wrote down that I really wanted to talk about. And one was the song. How there's a song called Weird Science by Ongo Boingo. And that is also probably something that I've heard before that I... Sh- like. The, the whole concept of write a custom song that's terrible for a movie in the 80s is, uh, is, is I think, a lost art that we need to reclaim again, you know? Oh, absolutely. The song might have been one of the best parts of this film. And, and you're right, it was a, a pretty big hit. And Alongo Bongo's frontman, I don't know, are you familiar? I, I have literally no idea what, what they are. I've seen them many times but I, I've never checked him out. Please tell me about this frontman. I'm the, very, very the interested. The frontman goes on to be one of Hollywood's great composers, Danny Elfman. What the fuck? No. Yeah. That's insane. What? So this is an Elfman? Holy crap. Well, well that is this, unbelievable. He doesn't score the film, but like, this is where he... Obviously. Like, yeah, this is an Elfman song. 
It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, it's one of the first that he gets to like do. I know he, I think he did Pee Wee with, but that's 85 and this is 85 too. So it's around the time where he's transitioning from his band, Ongo Bongo, or Boingo, yeah. Boingo, I don't know, <laughs> to uh, his, his film role. So I'd like to think that Weird Science, if it's going to have any kind of contribution into like the film world, it's that maybe he's like, oh, cool, I can write songs for movies. Yeah, no, that 100%, like that got him in at the, the music department at like Universal. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I really, you know, it's a song that, I keep saying this term, but they do get a lot of mileage at in this film. But whatever, I mean, like it's it's a cool song for the time. It's, it's actually something I, I really wanted to talk about, and I thought it's, it's super interesting. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad that that was good in this film, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was, um, like, that was a thing. It was, it, it, it was their highest charting song I just looked up. Now that Danny Elf, that, that is legitimately insane. I love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's funny because John Hughes films, and I know from doing this podcast, have so much scholarship about them articles and books and documentaries and even people who you wouldn't think would relate to films become apologists for some of like the worst John Hughes moments because of the way it made mm. them feel when they first saw it. Sure. This uh, like <laughs> you know, at Breakfast Club 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, like re- you know, those kind of films ha- apologists is a bad word, but people people will find nuggets in them that they really including myself that they really really connect with especially at like a vulnerable time this film has the least scholarship of any john hughes film i have ever like done seen researched or anything so like all the things i'm telling you are like stupid little trivia things like and i guess if you write a film in two days and (laughs) this is what you get i've been to like play festivals that are longer than that like like (laughs) write a play in 24 hours like that is legitimately wild and i love it the other thing that I wanted to bring up was, like, there was easily the weirdest part, and the part that things kind of go off the rails for me a little bit, is, uh, also, if you hear thunder in the background, it just bopped off in New York. It, it, it's it's a torrential rain out there, so, uh, sorry for if there's if there's some cool foley going on back there. That, or somebody over in bed decided to make a woman, and all of a sudden, <laughs> the, the <laughs> but, um, the other thing I want to talk about was the weird mutant stuff in the middle, uh, which, like, was very unpleasant for a lot of it because it was just, like, kind of random. And then, like, the climax of it is the main character really chewing out these bikers uh, in very 80s way, by which I mean lousy with homophobic slurs. Um, and uh, it was, it was like, not my favorite uh, climax of a film or way for somebody to discover confidence. But I will say, when the bikers just really give up and, and go home, and they're just like, can we just... Can we keep this between us? I, I would hate to lose my teaching job. <laughs> or like, <laughs> like, God bless. Like, just like the really like meek goodbye is, is absolutely delicious. Like, and that, that was like the thing that actually killed me. I have no idea who, the, who played the bikers. They were the funniest people in the movie when they were literally just like giving up. <laughs> well, this, the scene was inspired by um, Mad Max, specifically Mad Max to the Road Warrior. And I'm glad you asked who uh-huh. played the bikers because an actor named Vernon Wells played like the lead biker. Sure. And he is actually in Mad Max 2, like the lead bad guy of like, he's <laughs> essentially playing the same thing. And I had recently sure. for another podcast on this network, there are times a charm watched all the Mad Max films to do Mad Max three beyond the Thunderdome. 
And yes, guys, <laughs> I'm mentioning it because that has an awesome soundtrack, and I'm going to drop the clip for that Tina Turner song <laughs> right here. We don't need another hero. Um, in Mad Max 2, and I forgot his name in Mad Max 2, he's essentially the same character. And despite, like like you said, there's a lot of very like homophobic language and just racist tropes in this film. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It is unpleasant at many times. Like. However, I did get a kick. Not, I didn't get a kick that this scene is the climax of the film. It really, really shouldn't be. Because like I said, it just literally comes out of nowhere but i did get a kick like as of somewhat recently watching mad max that like this is where it came from but again it should have just been one of the story beats if the language of this film was that these fantasies were happening you know i don't know this movie feels like it would be if they put a little bit of extra like money at it it could have been like like jumanji you know like oh there's a force in the world that's fucking with the universe and it's creating a rapidly devolving situation and like, oh, the tiger that you release in Act 1 attacks you in Act 3 and then like, <laughs> just, like the mosquito, and like the town starts going to shit and like, that would be kind of fun, but this movie is not financed sufficiently to make that happen. And so like, the bikers, rather than being like a present menace throughout the movie, are like, willed into existence, ruin one party, and then are politely asked to leave and then they do so <laughs> like it, it, it's just like i feel like they could have been fun as just like a weird menace that's creating weird stuff in the background and yet they were just kind of lost for one quick gag you're so right and i think you bring up like an interesting uh, like point like there's no there's no stakes to the science they created except like right. we might not get the girl you know, like, maybe, yes, maybe no. But, like, there are hardly stakes there, even. There's no, like... Oh, no, the stakes are even worse, because the stakes are, maybe we won't get the girl, but we will also be able to hook up with these other two girls and then try to get the girl. <laughs> like, it's really not great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's no, like, rupture, you know? Like, right. oh, we did this. Here are the repercussions for that move, and we need to undo this. Lisa doesn't even go crazy enough where it's like, we got to put the you know, the genie back in the lamp. Yeah, like, literally, like, the ge- like this is a genie that they've happened upon. Like, and, and there's no, there's no downsides, there's no, like, maybe, like, what if the house isn't clean by the time mom gets back? <laughs> but not even that's, like, really well-voiced, like. No, no. <laughs> I found it so interesting, and I was gonna get to this later, but a huge, like, Blu-ray edition is coming out in, like, two weeks for this film, chock full of extras, and mm-hmm. I don't know how well this is all going to be received. I don't think... Uh, I, I don't know. Like, a lot of places... Like, have... what ex- What was left on the cutting room floor? Like, what Like what is not... Ex- like, every inch of film that they created in the creation of this film is on the screen. Like, there's <laughs> there's nothing that... Like, what did, they, what did they have remaining to say that was not said already in the course of this? Like, it's padded out so... Like... It, like, there's nothing left. Like, what bonus scene could possibly exist? And what new ethnic slur do they invent in the middle of it? Like, it's just really not... Like, there's nothing there. <laughs> now, just from my experience doing films like this, um, I, I thought maybe, like, why some people do have some kind of nostalgia for this film is something that I've mm-hmm. seen with other films that, like, it's, it's a film that apparently played on TV a lot. There's a TV sure. cut 
And with a lot of these TV films, oh. people can't recount like everything that happened, just like little scenes. And I guess an overarching story matters less for for a movie that's playing yes. on TV, and it's just about like little parts here and there. That's me kind of grasping at straws to def- to try to defend this film a little bit. But I, I think maybe that's why it could have a nostalgia factor because I was reading a lot of people online, oh, I remember seeing this on TV. Oh, this is on TV all the time, you know? Yeah, totally. I, like, it would have, sh- like, again, this thing had to have made its money back in syndication because I doubt that it, like, like was, it a, was it a hit? Like, how did this movie do? Like, yeah, I believe it was a hit, but... <sighs> really? For uh, It doesn't deliver, which is shocking. You would think that word of mouth would kill it, but, like... <laughs> I think, like, you know, he had just done, again, The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles. It was an era where teen movies were getting really, really hot. Yeah, okay, so sure. the budget was just $7.5 million. I don't know if that's adjusted or whatever. Yeah, I mean, even so, you can't you can't lose with that. <laughs> yeah, and the box office ended up being $38 million. So I, I think they were happy with the results. Uh, that's what mm. I read. Yes, and that's not even, like, after, but, uh, like, rentals and all that kind of stuff that's like box office uh 38 million dollars worldwide so I, I know critically it wasn't too acclaimed um some people liked it some people didn't but certainly again it made it made its money but i, I would chalk it up to like a hot period in the business and a very hot director with anthony michael hall being a familiar face from his two hits three if you count vacation yeah. All right, yeah, I, I can see it working. I, I like I just pulled this out because I wanted to see about the release. There's a remake that they pitched uh, and has not yet materialized, but uh, I saw that's that. probably for the uh, best. I'm like, ooh, yeah, ooh, and then there were like people teasing online of maybe doing like a uh, gender swap kind of remake, which those are popular, but I still don't see. I don't know how that would be taken as like an adult high school man making out with teenage girls, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I just don't... Didn't, what would that movie have to say that the music video for It's Raining Men didn't already say? Like, <laughs> that's really the question that I have. <laughs> you know, and that's a good point, too. Like, you mentioned music video. This totally, yeah. totally could have just been condensed to a music video for this Danny, <laughs> Holy... Danny Elfman <laughs> song. You know? <laughs> what if people didn't actually see scenes from the movie on television throughout the 80s because it was never syndicated? What if they just saw the music video for Weird Science? <laughs> I mean, it's totally possible. <laughs> like, notorious cult hit, the MTV, me- MTV me- uh, video, like, science. <laughs> Quick run through of scenes that I wrote down. Like, I, we, we kind of talked about it quickly, but like that creation scene, just the. Yeah. This is the comes down to like two teenage boys creating a lady for themselves, and their computer, they can just put magazine clippings, and the computer is able to process. What, yeah, exactly. What they actually mean from each clipping. Okay, look. You know how you're always talking about how you can simulate all that stuff in your computer. You know. What's the difference? Why can't we simulate a girl? I don't know. I I guess I could, but. Why? It's two-dimensional on the screen. It's, it's not flesh and blood, Gary. Well, I know that, but, you know, we can, we can use it. Why? We can ask it questions. We can, we can put it in real-life sexual situations and see how it reacts. You're like, we're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. Well, what about your girl in, um, Canada? She was in Canada. This girl's no morals. You know, I don't, I don't like that on a girl. I, it's rough having those kind of relationships, you'll see. 
<clears throat> anyway, get to work. Oh, Albert Einstein must be smart. Like, like it's yeah, you know, and like as somebody like part of my job entails like writing code for for journalism purposes, and like I've messed around with with those basic uh, like AI things that can like identify things in pictures, and like even today in the year of our Lord two thousand nineteen, it's still not great most of the time. Like we got good at stoplights, and that's about it. Like, and. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, though, it doesn't, it doesn't create enough of a language for us to suspend our disbelief and buy into it. I will say, however, as a person raised on, like, the video game The Sims, that wasn't, like, that bad. That, that did actually feel like, oh, yeah, no, let's see what happens when I move the slider all the way over here. Oh, my God, I've created a Morlock. All right, we're going <laughs> to go back to, like, it's... Uh, <laughs> And so, like, I did, like, the character creation component of it very briefly until they got to the, like, yeah, let's cut up a bunch of Playboys, which are just around, right? <laughs> and uh, and then and then put that away, so. <laughs> and, like, it's take you know, they show the, the Frankenstein clip. It's obviously taken from Frankenstein, or I suppose inspired, but we, like you've even said, we've seen these tales since the beginning of human uh his- history i suppose modern day prometheus creates babe like, it's, it's like i don't know man <laughs> i mean i have to say at least they made her like smart and in charge and a pretty strong lady you know like yeah it- she was like i like the confidence a lot and like they did not make us like like a rant like a dumb bimbo to like use their term from back that like i think they actually said in the movie when robert downey jr is specifically requesting uh the situation uh yeah i i wasn't like it, it could have been worse is is the thing that i am only now realizing and don't love yeah. like yeah and she's like she's in charge yeah she's 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 steering the boat she's making the like She's uh, taking a bunch of teenagers to a, to a dive bar in Chicago, and uh, and then she's uh, creating life to uh, to have a party at their house for no reason whatsoever. Like, <laughs> okay, so now the storm has like hit where I am, and I really, mm-hmm. really think that the the gods of weird science are punishing us for bashing this movie right now, and we're gonna be haunted I'm... by. Some yeah, kind of, or turned into a big pile of poop. Who knows? I, I mean, let me just uh, like I. I uh, one sec, that's the door. Well, let me. I, I'll be right back. <laughs> oh God, no! Like. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be very cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a mood. I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> like, uh, the the random thunder and lightning outside. Um, yeah, it's popping off. But I would just say, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I watched it. I think, like, the thing, I don't know how much of a cultural impact, like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, is there, like, an in-joke in a movie that I've missed out on all these years? Where, like, I was on, um, the, the, the Hanks podcast, Hanks of the Memories, uh, on this lovely network just a few days ago. And, um, that was just, like, I I hadn't seen it full through in a while, and then you kind of appreciate, oh, this has really penetrated the cultural consciousness, there's some, like, iconic imagery, iconic sound, scenes that make their way th- through the cultural memory, 
uh, whether it's as simple as like a family guy sketch or like actually like an homage in a later film. This movie does not appear to have had anything of consequence in it besides the person who would eventually become Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh yeah. Um, let's see what else I wrote down. Oh, (laughs) we, we, this is just goes back to what I was saying before we got a shower scene, but there was no nudity in it and which whatever I'm fine with, but I just thought that was, I'm surprised. That's all. Right. Like, like that's the absence of delivery. Like if you promise a 1980s teen sex romp, you at least at one point need to imply nudity. Like, I don't make the uh, rules here. That was literally a law passed under Reagan. This is how it is. I don't, again, I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. Like, um, I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> any other scenes or moments that you, you wrote down that you'd want to mention or anything? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It kind of felt really half-assed. Like, again, like they, we popped into a, a country club where two olds are, are sharing a dinner and, like, the dialogue's kind of stilted. They're very, like, they're, it's kind of like there are not really characters in this movie so much as, like, plots that are briefly thrown and, and then immediately dispatched with by an almighty, all-powerful genie that has uh, been created. And, like, uh, there's no real sense of conflict. Like, there's no real sense that uh, of, like, menace, even. And, like, I think that, th- like, this movie very clearly lacks a discernible villain, in the way that, like, yes, there are, like, bullies, but they are, like, immediately flensed for fun. Like, th- there's no consequences. And there's no, like, choice to be made. And, and like, I think that not every movie needs to be, like, like, like a, a high-stakes uh, battle of, of, of ethics. But I think that, like, movies do need to have, like, some sort of question in them at times. And, like, something <laughs> to kind of keep you watching. That, that isn't, like, boy golly... This woman's really hot. I can't believe that I invented her. Like that's a like it's kind of a lift. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm sorry if I'm kind of straining to to pop out <laughs> iconic scenes and memories. But I will just kind of say this movie's not particularly iconic. Like it feels totally like a rush job. Um, it, like how can I put it? Okay, so he would go. John Hughes would go on to the, the following year he didn't direct but he wrote and was like the lead producer and really the voice behind pretty in pink it's clearly a john hughes film yeah and then he would direct write produce and pretty much do everything both that same year in ferris bueller's day off so it it feels like a rush job you know yeah. Well, we... Like, did he just want to get it out of his system? Like, he might have thought that it was, like, a cash play. It's just kind of rough. Like, like there's no this movie has no reason to exist in so many different ways, is <laughs> I guess what I'm doing. Because, like, he's a good writer and director. Obviously flaws. Obviously things don't always hold up. But, like, I think that it's fairly inarguable, and I'm saying this on a podcast kind of devoted to the genre that he kind of, like, in many ways, like, provoked at the very least. But, like, I think that he's got like chops and i don't really know why this is such a very obvious miss now maybe okay now i am checking this was uh you've left some things out because he did make mr mom right before (laughs) 16 candles so i'm kind of picking up that perhaps this is not he's not the the brilliant savant that uh, he was kind of talked out to be but yeah i don't know i don't see how he kind of cocks this one up so bad because this is just really not fun (laughs) 
Well, he we've talked about this on previous episodes here where he came from uh, National Lampoon's. He wrote, I mean, National Lampoon, of one of the cornerstones of American comedy, but if you read their Absolutely. St- stories now, a lot of them are very problematic, including some of the big Hughes stories. Um, Christmas Vacation came out of that, which I, I love Christmas Vacation, but like in Christmas Vacation, there's a character who becomes Long Duck Dong in Sixteen Candles, and that's a terribly, terribly, terribly racist character. Uh, sure. There are a lot of moments in his previous films where it was clearly just about the nudity and the sex, and that's why I'm not going to say I would want it and forgive it in this film if mm-hmm. that was where he was going, but it would make more sense with his trajectory. He's a, he's a flawed genius. I've said that before, but he's flawed in the ways that he like his racial politics, which we do see here, but also mm-hmm. his. Um, for example, like in the Breakfast Club, he actually wanted to include a n- another character, a gym teacher, and there was going to be a shower scene in that film. And there's famously an upskirt shot of not Molly Ringwald, but of Molly Ringwald's mm-hmm. character in the Breakfast Club that's completely unnecessary. And you just don't like. I'm not saying I need it again. I I, I want to be clear because I don't want people. No, to- no. I, I hear exactly what you're saying because, like, listen, we're not prudes. We are New Yorkers here. We can be frank about. It, but like, sexuality is absolutely a tool used in cinema. It's it's like especially at this time, want- especially by him. Especially at this time, and especially in this genre. But like in general, like it's absolutely appropriate and fine for film to like reference and incorporate human sexuality because essentially film is supposed to be about the human experience in that way, right? And like in particularly in this genre, this what made this genre I think so breathtaking at this time was that like finally the mainstream was talking about sex among people who were having sex in a, in a like a frank way and that, it felt that's why I think it resonated so well in the 80s because before that it had been a bunch of like after school specials like like implying <laughs> that they would die and it would fall off whereas <laughs> finally John Hughes speaks like no the truth of the situation is that teenagers are are just as the people around them like like uh, absolutely uh, beings that have sexuality in their lives and and I think that like what made this movie so very surprising was that it like it kind of like the the cell is that like oh this is titillating but like the actual execution of it is very very like kind of old fashioned and not like actually like there wasn't any uh, like reference to the promise that they kind of made in that regard and again like it just felt very very off putting that this should have been a slightly different movie if it wanted to address the topics that it kind of seemed like it could have gotten at you know like yeah like I mean either they could have. If you weren't going to balance both, he either could have just made a raunchy teen sex comedy. Sure. Or a, a film with a lot of heart and plot that we care about. And he didn't do either here. And it's just, I'm just, I'm left like perplexed. And I'm curious to, I want to talk to somebody who's seen it, who really likes it and ask them why, because I can only imagine it's just nostalgia reasons. And yeah, I, you know, that's all I can imagine. Or again, like, like, Perhaps, like, Kelly LeBrock was, like, a formative experience for people, regardless of whether or not, like, the film actually got to the issues that it wanted to discuss. But, like, I can understand maybe, like, in the performers or things like that, it just did feel, no, you're super right, like, 
I didn't like. I don't personally care if this movie has more sexuality in it. It just feels very, very weird that such an explicitly a movie marketed the way that it was and sold as the thing that it was. It just feels very, very strange that this movie just didn't commit at a certain point. You realize, like, that's kind of what I guess we're both trying to say. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you, I think you hit it perfectly right there. I mean, pretty much summing it up. Um, I, I like to talk about the ending of all these films, and you alluded to it before. Essentially, once they get girlfriends, who I guess were previously Robert Downey Jr. and his friends' girlfriends, once, huh. <laughs> once they're like, "Oh, there are girlfriends now." Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, Lisa goes away, um, and, not, and not angrily, because I, I'm not saying I want to see that again, but that's something I thought was gonna maybe happen too. Like she was gonna get jealous of these two girls, but she's like. And they ask, like, are you okay with this? She's like, I'm sad, but this is what I wanted in the end. <laughs> and Mary Poppins her ass out of there. It makes their yeah. Porsches disappear and stuff. And, yeah, and then like, she, she, sorry. Like, I, I don't know, like, if it's, like, supposed to be, like, ah, yes, this is a, a, a human manifestation of adult maturity when it comes to, like, taking your, your simple teenage lust and turning it into actual affection. Uh, if that is what they were going for, did not land that one, but, like, that could have worked. That could have been a very serious viable way. Like, no, this this is a, a physical manifestation of what you need to do, dude, in order to get your crap together and start treating women like people, which, to their credit, they kind of go from ogling in the first scene to, like, no, they have some actual serious affection for the two women at the end. And so, like, if that's what they were going to try to accomplish, that's cool. They did not, in fact, accomplish that, I would go so far as to say. Like... <laughs> You saying that right now made me think about it more than the entire film did. Like, I was like, you know what? You're right. That is kind of what happens, you know? But they don't. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And you said yeah. it before. She randomly winds up as the gym teacher to a, a class of kids that none of our characters are in. Yes. Uh, it is uh, absolutely a choice to, that they make. And, uh, <laughs> man, I, like, I, like what, what is she going to do? Like... like dissolve back into the mud from which she be, like is now like, like no like i think it's fine but like i i don't really know like is that a sequel like i it's it's unclear what they were kind of going for either way um yeah i i wish that kelly lebrock had a better go of it because uh, this movie like she she seems she seems quite talented in this regard and like she seemed like she was willing to put herself out there for a movie that really did not actually commit hard enough to make it kind of worth it, which isn't super always fun to see, you know? Yeah, I mean, at least for them, they might not have enjoyed filming this, I don't know, but at least for them it was a hit in its time, so it wasn't a complete waste for them. And I know at the time, like, especially reading now, too, that, like, Kelly LeBrock became, like, a household name, and she was very popular for that moment from this film so good for her and again none of none of what we're saying is her fault i 100 no! stand by again that. she really does the best with what she got and she's like the most interesting person on the screen the entire time um i get it you know like i get what they were going for and i think that it sucks that everything around her didn't make it happen you know i feel <laughs> like the comedy just falls flat and like this wasn't necessarily a super fun movie to watch <laughs> <laughs> i found an interesting note that there was a weird science TV show. Oh, uh, the, how'd that go? The, actually, surprisingly better than I thought. So the pilot is on this DVD. I didn't get to watch it. But I was like, oh, huh, that's interesting. So I wanted to look into it. It ran for five seasons. 
What the f- really? Five, I'm like, is that, that, is that why people like this movie? Do they just, do, is the show that they thought that they were watching the syndicated, like... Man, I'm oh a guy who prides myself on knowing TV. I had yeah. no idea this existed. And when I saw it, look, there was a Ferris Bueller TV show that I think lasted like six episodes. Like, the, the, that happens from time to time. But for something to run five seasons, and I have zero awareness about, and like, I don't think, I don't, no one's ever mentioned this TV show to me. But I thought it was interesting about the TV show that I read that it's not a continuation necessarily of this story. It's some smart kids in California watch Weird Science like the John Hughes film Weird Science, and decide to make the technology to do it for themselves. But they're named Gary and Wyatt, too. What? What the fuck what? is... Yeah, no. That, the that makes series no sense, follows though. the adventures of Gary Wallace and Wyatt Donnelly, which, if I'm not... if Unless I'm like going insane, is the actual names of the characters. Yeah, Gary Wallace and Wyatt Donnelly, who watch Weird Science. What the fuck <laughs> was the 80s? <laughs> Okay, well, this was the 90s. What the? Oh my god. Why? This is insane. Why would they have their same names if they're clearly said they just watched? Like, oh my god, we're like, that's so, so weird and lazy. Wow. That's rough. I need Vanessa to, uh, like, Angel after... takes over the role of Lisa. She describes herself as a magic genie. So they just made, like, horny teen I Dream of Genie. Oh, <laughs> she grants wishes. And she does so out of choice rather than duty. Uh, oh, and it's kind of just like one of those, like, gene, like, oh, she can't reverse it when she grants a wish, and so that's probably the source of all the conflict in the movie, uh, and then, ay yeah, 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 no, this is it, oh, they do keep, obviously, the awful brother in it, because why not, like, <laughs> this makes no, no, this makes absolutely sense. no, no sense. Oh, okay, so this is making a little bit more sense now that I'm reading about the show, it aired on uh-huh. the USA Network, and, that makes sense, U- USA Network in 1994, I mean, come on, you know, like, that's when, like, people would insult you for being on cable. (laughs) Yeah. So so I guess, yeah, I guess that's kind of why it survived. It's probably, like, a cheap show. I feel so mean ripping this show. I don't know anyone who's seen it. I've never watched it. But five years is a long time for anything to run. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a run for sure. I mean, it doesn't necessarily look like the production values were (laughs) Game of Thrones, $10 million per episode. But I will say that, like... Oh man, this is not exactly what I was uh, really uh, delighted in. So, uh, oh boy. So interesting. It makes no sense. I- I'm gonna watch it though, probably after we record. There's a Wikipedia list of weird science episodes. You can actually read the. <laughs> you can read the synopsis for every single episode, picking a random one from uh, from season three. Lisa is possessed by the spirit of a computer demon trying to escape cyberspace and take over the world. I would watch that episode of television. I'm actually going to see if this is on Amazon. Uh, (laughs) This is why I love the internet and Wikipedia. I just like the idea that someone compiled this list. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That that lifts my spirits a bit. (laughs) Okay, the second to last episode... The second to last episode is this is the logline to test Chet's ability to commit. Lisa makes herself pregnant. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I don't know. Maybe we should do like a uh, like like a little spinoff a, a podcast of our own and only watch Weird Science, the TV show. <laughs> do not. Oh my god! <laughs> it kind of looks like it just turned into Lisa and Chet after a while. <laughs> The, is that the brother? Wait, oh really? My God. Like all this, all the season descriptions from season four onward 
are almost entirely about until Ch Chet. So either the person who wrote this Wikipedia article is the guy who played Chet, or <laughs> or things took a real turn when they aged out of their contracts. <laughs> this sh what the f this is insane. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to divert you. Uh, uh, From uh, what? Gone on. <laughs> <laughs> From living your life and not knowing about this. That's great. <laughs> Like, That's great. I, I'm enriched by this. Um, so, anything else from the film, oh Weird Science, that you wanted to mention? Uh, no. I, I, I'm tapped. I'm tapped out. I'm done. <laughs> so, um, I've changed the format a little bit because I'm an idiot. Originally, we just invented a scale to grade on, but now we're... It's a high school film show. I figured uh -huh. we grade things on an A plus to F scale because that makes too much sense that i can't believe it took me a whole season to figure that out but <laughs> sure yeah by the way audience score on rotten tomatoes is actually 69 percent. so while that isn't fresh god no that's because teen boys did that they, they did that on purpose they don't care for it. it's audience score and, and but critical score is 54 percent um like i said at the time it wasn't as bashed as maybe if it came out today but obviously sure. it's not a good Grade, but fifty-four percent by the critics. Just want to mention that. So I will point out that that is just five points shy of The Lion King. So <laughs> and that movie's going to make a trillion dollars. So hey, it's not terrible. I don't think they care about those numbers when you're spending seven million at the time and making almost forty million again at the time. So whatever. It's good it's, business. <laughs> it's a business. Um, okay, so, Walt Hickey, what is your grade? What are you grading weird science? Oh, um, I'm just going to go, like, a D, D minus. Like, it's a, it's a struggle. There are moments where you're just like, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. End of compliment. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, um, it's fine. Uh, you can tell that at least four people on the cast are trying really, really hard. Apparently one of them is shoving their tongue down another actor's throat, which is never really a good thing to hear after you watch a movie. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of really mixed on this one, my man. Uh, I can't really think of too many nice things to say. I think that this one might basically kind of fail out. So so is it an F or a D? What is it? Oh, it is a D minus. It is like, it's like where you don't want to fail them because then you have to take their class. Like you have to keep them in class. <laughs> you just want to kind of get their ass over to like 10th grade. And so you just like, yeah, Meets minimum standards according to the state. Like, <laughs> is a movie is like contractually over an hour and a half. Like, I'm gonna give this one a. I'll be a little nicer because Robert Downey Jr., Kelly LeBrock, and again, I don't think. I, I think the actors did what they could with what they have, but I'll give it a. I'm somewhere between a C minus and a D plus. Yeah, that's reasonable. Uh, hmm. I'll just, just to be a little bit more positive, I'll give it the C minus, but that's still not sure. good for a science experiment for weird science here. Maybe the D yeah. plus. I'm leaning on it. I don't know. It's just. Yeah. No, give it the C minus because we've had some giggles. It's been fun. Like... Fair, fair. C minus. This was, this was a disappointing one though. I, I did expect more because John Hughes and it ha has a name and it seemed like, you know, something interesting. Yeah. C, C minus. That's my final grade. So, well. What sleeping bag are you bringing to the slumber party that's weird science-themed? Uh, what sleeping bag am I bringing to the slumber party that's weird science-themed? Um, hmm, great question. Uh, I'm bringing a sleeping bag that, uh, huh. Man, I don't know. I mean, like, probably, like, rainproof, because it's kind of apocalyptic when uh, <laughs> it gets weird there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm definitely bringing one with animation on it, because this movie paid some animators, by which I mean... 
they phoned that in. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but like when he forgets to hook up the doll, and instead they get like a nuclear missile, or I don't know, some kind of missile. That's one of the, like most the most Reagan moments in a film I've ever seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, whoa! Of all things, <laughs> it's also like it's an opportunity to create something interesting. Yeah. Like something that's going to have repercussions later in the film. And I, I suppose a missile could have, but there is no feasible way to launch it or anything. And they, they didn't seem like afraid of it. So I don't know. Just, just a silly, silly thing there. I guess my sleeping bag would look like that. Rando <laughs> missile. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, Walt. Next time, if you ever want to come on the show again, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for, for, for this weird science massacre, but... Next time we'll do something with a little bit more meat on the bones. But uh, I really, really thank you for coming on. Uh, anything you want to promote or talk about? Uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It's super fun. Uh, I got a daily newsletter. that It's, uh, it's really, really fun. Uh, if you're kind of tired of, uh, of just kind of the same old, same old news, that kind of thing. Uh, interesting stuff in your inbox every single morning. Cool stories that you're missing. You can find it at numlock.news or, and get this, I, I bought a vanity URL that is easier to say on podcasts without having to spell out numlock. And it is, uh, if you go to funkynewsletter.biz, you bet you're, yeah, you're going <laughs> to find the website. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so that, so check it out. It's a good time. Uh, and That's awesome. yeah, I love being on the show, dude. This is a ton of fun. It's a super good hour and I get to see movies that, uh, I do not have in my in my repertoire for what sometimes turns out to be damn good reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I forgot what else you had on your list, but we'll definitely tackle some of those. Uh, down Christine the road. was fun. I liked Christine. Yeah, that that was a, that was like, a very pleasant surprise. That was a hoot. And guys, if you um, haven't heard that one. Listen to the Christine episode and watch Christine. That was, like I said, a really, really pleasant. Surprise. Yeah, Christine was great. I mean, like Christine was like dumb, but like they committed so good and like this is dumb and then just like does not know what it is but till next time uh, but yeah no this is a lot of fun thank you so much for having me on and uh, uh listeners to subscribe like and review it does help <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much walt big weird sciencey thank you to walt hickey for hopping on and i know he wasn't a huge fan of the film i don't know if it translates to our generation today but this was another wacky one we had two like 80s wacky ones in a row um so mike next week's next week's homework well i think you know it because we're on the same page for what's going to happen next weekend (laughs) can i just ask your listeners would they like to know more (laughs) maybe maybe after this trailer they will In every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey, Ken, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with the first wave. You smash the entire area, you kill anything that has more.
one, two legs, you get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Here they come! Incoming! Mayday, Mayday, this is Roughneck 2 0 Render attack, sir. We need retrieval now. Someone made a damn mistake. No! The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? Ah! Prepare for battle and journey to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. So the film that we're going to be doing on High School Slumber Party is Starship Troopers, and my guest is going to be Dan Ferrara, who was on the Gleaming the Cube episode, and who actually was on the episode with you, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Yep. Yeah. And the very next day, why don't you tell the Slumbers their extra homework <laughs> because of what's going to happen on Third Time's a Charm. Oh, that's right. So it lines up pretty well. Like when you wake up from your sleepover party uh, at Brian's house the next morning on August 3rd, you can uh, listen to my latest episode of Third Time's a Charm, which is going to be none other than Starship Troopers 3 Marauders. So uh, I got very special guest lined up for that, which is Christian Larson, who, if you uh, remember, was over on the WrestleMania three-month extravaganza with, uh, with yourself and my horror consultant, Dan Cologne. So uh, once again, Brian, our shows have synced up. You know, we are in the same orbit. Our, our little solar <laughs> system is uh, aligned once more, and uh, we are fighting bugs and lots of them coming up and i'm sure you know you guys will get into the weeds and talk a little bit at least a little bit about starship troopers too so so everyone on the cage club podcast network will have the starship troopers universe together but i don't want to dive in too much anyway but starship troopers 2 feels more like the three if that makes sense because it doesn't have the original character Mm -hmm. johnny rico right so like your traditional three that maybe abandons the franchise. So so this three that you're going to be talking about, I'm very, very curious what your guys' take is going to be. Yeah, this is, um, this is a very interesting series, to say the least. Um, movies I didn't even know existed until I started Third Time's a Charm. I didn't know there was a two. I didn't know there was a three. Apparently there's a part four out there floating around somewhere. But Larson and I do get into the history of Starship Troopers a bit. He is... Um, He's kind of an expert. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, he knows his shit when it comes to this movie. He loves it a lot, so I couldn't ask for a better guest over on that episode. And, uh, yeah, we do get into part two, and lots of just, like, crazy stuff to talk about with part three. Like, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Just, if you can, please go listen to that episode when it drops, because very surprising. Very surprising. <laughs> you know what, Mike? I'd like to know more. thank you so much thank you so much for hanging out and checking out you know this episode of weird science with me but also your input on gleaming the cube and can't wait for starship troopers 3 on third times a charm well as always brian thank you very much and i'll just be sitting here at the back of the class as usual (laughs) just just waiting (laughs) just hanging out (laughs) waiting for that promotion exactly (laughs) all right thanks mike would you like to know more 
couple other things before I get out of your way and let you enjoy your weekend, guys, because recreation time is as important as podcast time or, I don't know, slumber party time or classroom time. But remember, you do have homework next week, and that is, of course, support the show by telling a friend, comment, like, subscribe, do all those fun things, but also watch Starship Troopers and listen to both my episode on Starship Troopers, our episode, I should say. It's for all the slumberers. And also Mike Manzi's episode on Third Time's a Charm. One other thing I wanted to say before letting you go is that friend of the program, former guest, Jenny O'Connell, she has a play that she's currently in, and I wanted to mention it for, well, one, she's my friend, and, you know, she's wonderful, but really, she was on our second episode ever of High School Slumber Party, Get Over It, which is a sort of pseudo take on Midsummer Night's Dream, and she's actually in a play right now that is a version of Midsummer Night's Dream. It's called Go Puck Yourself. It's playing in New York. You want to look that up, just Google it. I'm looking at a website called horsetrade.info. Go puck yourself. Showtime's still on, running. I think there's two more left. Sunday, July 28th, and Sunday, August 4th. Just look it up. It seems pretty, pretty cool and somewhat ironic and very awesome for the high school slumber party universe. Go puck yourself and go listen to our second episode ever. I might be a little rusty, but that's okay on Get Over It with me and Jenny talking about this film and A Midsummer Night's Dream. So I leave you with today for good, not for good forever, I hope, but for good for this week with I was looking at other songs, I was thinking of picking other songs, but why the hell would I do that? The theme song to this is great. Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo, I can never pronounce that right. Weird science. Later, dudes. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention?